Why do you think socialites are going to walk away from today's episode with a lot to think and talk about? Because I'm going to give them the internal perspective to the complexities of an officer-involved shooting that I supervised. But we're also going to expose how political influence in this case created some legal complications, resulting in the dire impact to the safety of the general public. Welcome to the Socialite Crime Club. You're invited to indulge in exceptional storytelling. Delight your insatiable desires for scandalous schemes and criminal conspiracies. Socialite Crime Club, recounting misdeeds. All right, we got to start this episode with some disclaimers. Mm -hmm. I've changed all the names. Good. I've changed all the locations. This is good. I'm not even going to give exact dates, and I'm going to explain why. We had a lawsuit as a result of this case that made it all the way to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And quite frankly, I just don't want to get sued again. This would be good. I suspect we're going to get sued again, but I'm going to do my best to minimize the impact of that lawsuit by changing a lot of names, times, and places. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm sure you do. (laughs) The reason for this episode, I didn't know if I wanted to do this episode. So I also want to throw out a little disclaimer. I really think that this is worth talking about. And we've got some other episodes coming up later on that I think some of the insights of the inner workings of these investigations will be really helpful. Specifically police shooting investigations. Use of force and police shooting. And I know that law enforcement shootings in America today is a hot topic. This one isn't that big of a topic. It's pretty clear cut. Well, not only is it a hot topic, it's extremely controversial in a lot of ways. As it should be. And I want to lay some foundation so that when we get to those later episodes, we have some stuff that we've talked about here. There is a lot of misunderstandings about officer-involved shootings and how those investigations work. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. I also feel that we're seeing the pendulum start to swing back to where there is more accountability with these shootings, which is a really good thing. Right. So let's get into it. Our main character for this episode, I changed his name as I said, Biggie Smalls. Oh, this will be fun. Yeah, we're going to call him Biggie Smalls. He's a young officer. Super nice guy. The last person you would probably think that's going to be in an officer use of force investigation. How long had he been an officer at this point? I want to say three years, maybe. Oh, he's pretty green. He's, he's pretty green. He's pretty new. Uh, young family. So he's married. He's got a one-year-old and a two-year-old at home. He's not a big guy. He's pretty small. Well, you know him. I think he's yeah. a little bigger than you. Maybe taller. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> right, right. So he's not a big guy. Yeah. And the irony of this next piece, and it's the only reason that I put it in there, is I want to keep this light. Before he became a police officer, you always have to look at life experience. Right. Right. Of, yes. of police officers and what impacts them making decisions. He worked for a nut company as a oh. quality control consultant. So he tasted nuts. He tasted nuts, making sure that like they tasted the way that they need to taste. Sure. So just as we start to go through this episode, remember, at one point he was a nut taster. So when we talk about quality control, I imagine very much like fruits and vegetables come into our shelves on the grocery store. They look at how the quality of the fruit looks. He probably looked at the quality of the nuts. Yeah, I'm sure it was more than just tasting, but like an almond would come down the conveyor belt and he would inspect mm-hmm. it and be like, yep, that's a good almond. If it's not an, a good shaped almond, it gets to the wayside. I'm assuming, yeah. Probably. So he's been at the police department for a few years. And again, not who you would think would be in this type of investigation. He has, I won't say a flawless record, no disciplinary action. He's never been in trouble that I know of for anything. Okay. And I was pretty involved in the investigation. Nothing came up in his past that you'd be like, oh, we probably overlooked that. We shouldn't have. Right. That we knew about. For all intents and purposes, he was going out there every day, getting the job done, doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Okay. So for the most part, pretty good. Okay. So we're going to move on to a hot summer night sometime a few years ago. Biggie's working swing shift. And what that means is he goes in early afternoon. He gets off mid to late evening. Uh, and I believe on this particular day, he's off around 10, 1030. His wife is going to pick him up at the police department in their minivan. Okay. He's got both kids with him. Oh. <laughs> why, why do you say it like that? Why aren't their kids in bed yet? Yeah, that's true. And they make the decision that they're going to stop and get some food. And if I remember right, I want to say it was hot dogs. They wanted to stop for hot dogs. Okay. So they're going to go to Walmart. With her hot dogs. To get hot dogs. Some Oscar Myers. Yep. Maybe we'll upgrade to some Nathan's. 
Oh, Nathan's. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Biggie's uniform. We got to talk a little bit about Biggie's uniform. At the time, the police department was using what's called an outer vest. And you're familiar with this. It an was where vest, yes. your bulletproof vest basically has a, an outer vest that a lot of your gear attaches to, your radio. So your bulletproof vest slides into this outer vest that you slide over the top of your head. And then you have all these other nooks and crannies for all of your gear on your vest so that it's not all on your belt and you're distributing the weight a little bit better across your body. Perfectly explained, yes. Yeah. And with that particular uniform option, you would wear obviously black boots, like dark blue pants, but they would have the cargo pockets on the side. Mm -hmm. You'd have your duty belt, then a polo shirt, and the polo had a little embroidered badge on the left breast and you had your patches on each shoulder. Yeah. And then you'd put the, the outer vest on top of it. Biggie is getting ready to go home that day he actually takes off his outer vest, leaves it in his locker, takes off his duty belt, leaves it in his locker, takes his, his duty weapon, his gun, mm -hmm. and he puts it in his cargo pocket pants or the cargo pocket on his pants. Okay. And he leaves the police department like that. So he's still wearing a polo with the police badge embroidered on it. Okay. The patches. Okay. Just the underbelt, so not the duty belt, but just that little Velcro underbelt. There's a little Velcro underbelt that your duty belt kind of clings to so it right. doesn't slide all over your hips. And it just looks like a black belt when you're not wearing your duty yeah. belt. And then he's got his duty weapon in his cargo pocket. Oh, okay, go on. Tell me more. Why, no. why do you say that? It's just that that's heavy in your cargo pocket. Yeah, it's probably not it's the just best place to carry a Clanking firearm. around against your leg. Yeah. Doesn't seem like good weapon retention. And the first issue we're going to discuss here a little bit is going in public as a police officer for personal reasons. And yes. I'm not going to lie. I've had and I've done a lot of things where a family function comes up or I'm dropping kids off or I'm picking kids up. Actually, there's this really funny story that one day I'm taking the kids to school mm -hmm. and I was in an unmarked and I, I wore plain clothes most of my career. Okay. And we're going down the freeway and this guy's like all over my ass, just riding my ass the whole oh. time. Okay. And then finally he passes me and as he passes me, like he flips me off. Mm -hmm. And both the girls are in the car and they're like, oh, what's up with that guy? So I'm, right. I pull him over. <laughs> Because he, nice. he didn't know it was an unmarked car. Oh, no. And as soon as I got to the driver's side, he's like, I am so, so sorry. I'm like, I'm just giving you shit. Have a good day. <laughs> just oh just be aware. You never know who you're going to encounter on the freeway. Yeah. So I've but had It's not while my kids are in the car. Yeah. Like flip me off by myself. No. Anyway. Yeah. Kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> but there's issues with you always in the back of your head worry when I'm out in public with, especially with my family or at a some other function and I'm in some type of uniform where I'm recognizable as a police officer, there's a lot of things you need to consider before you do that. Because you're potentially putting your family in danger. Right. And it's one thing to consider, like, do I want to do that? It's another thing to do it half dressed. And what I mean by that is I've got the shirt on, I've got the gun in my cargo pocket, but now I've chosen, I don't have a radio. I don't have my taser. I don't have my pepper spray. You don't have all the other tools in your toolkit that you usually need to do your job every day to your fullest ability. Yeah. And just to make it really clear to our listeners, Biggie Smalls is out of policy when he does this. He could probably get away with running into Walmart on the way home in full uniform, grabbing a, a package of hot dogs and going. Not a problem. Right. But when you're only going in partially uniformed, ooh, you're, you're opening the door to some problems, right? He could have at least taken off his polo shirt and maybe just had his undershirt on. So he's just in navy and black. Right. Or just put a long sleeve shirt over. I know it's August. He doesn't have any identifying markings of being a police officer on him is the point. Right. And I used to carry with me a just a button up long sleeve shirt that I used to throw on a lot. Just yeah. To try or a to jacket or a yeah. sweater. And it's interesting. I don't know if you remember in the academy. If they caught you, they would do traffic patrols going into the academy to pull over recruits. And if they stopped you and you were in uniform, they would hammer you. Yeah. You had to drive to the academy in plain clothes, get dressed at the academy, undress at the academy, back into your plain clothes and leave. And they would follow you and down the road away right. from the academy. And a lot of people would be like, well, of course they are. But what it is, when you go through four months of academy, there's going to be a day or two that you're running a little late and you're worried you're not going to make it in time. So you're getting dressed or you have carpool people who are getting dressed because oh, they're late. It's the worst. And then you get stopped by one of, and they don't need a reason to stop you because you're a recruit. And then one of your carpool people does something stupid and now everybody has to run extra hills after. <laughs> that sounds like a very personal experience. Yes. The other thing that we have to say here. And I don't think we'll get pushback on this. We might. Is it's Walmart. There is always crime afoot in Walmart. Yes, just park in the back of the parking lot, walk through slowly, have a look around you, and you'll see multiple crimes taking place yeah. any given day, any hour, 
and in any aisle almost. Well, and we've talked about victimology, like your propensity to be a victim because of your lifestyle. Oh, yes. I would say every visit to Walmart increases your victimology score as, one or two notches. As a risk to die. Yeah. <laughs> You're a risk of being a victim if you shop at Walmart. So what happened? Well, I don't know, but he visited Walmart 300 times. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> We're going to get sued by Walmart. <clears throat> Probably. Okay, so oh, wow. they get to Walmart. Now, this is the second decision. Instead of, hey, honey, why don't you go in with the kids or I'll run in, they go in as a family. So okay. he's going to go into Walmart partially dressed in uniform with his wife, his one-year-old, and his two-year-old. And this is at 1030 at night? It's actually closer to 11 at this point. Okay. Yeah, so not good. So let's mm. talk about the actual crime that happens here. It's hardcore. We're going to okay. start with Mallory. She's going to be our female suspect today. And okay. obviously that name has been changed. Mallory's kind of a hardcore chick. She doesn't put up with no shit. She's from a part of the hood that... When somebody confronts you, you just beat their ass. There isn't a lot of conversation to be had back and forth. Okay. And Biggie Smalls doesn't recognize this as he probably should have with who he was dealing with. So as he's walking in with his family, she's walking out. I also feel like Biggie Smalls doesn't have a lot of historical experience with people from the hood. I would agree with that 100%. That's a very nice observation. As she's walking out, she's wearing this big sweatshirt and it's just crammed, packed, full of Walmart stuff makeup it's there's parts of it coming out of her like the, her neck there's parts she's holding it it's clear that a couple she, of packs of steaks yeah she probably has an entire shopping cart underneath her sweatshirt paper. and as she passes biggie small she's looking back and she's kind of giggling and smirking mm -hmm. to a male that's walking behind her maybe 15 20 feet behind her so he recognizes this is a shoplifting crime yeah. of the century Right. Well, I used to work for a larger corporation as an undercover, like shoplifting catcher, if you will. And I did this in college and it was the best job ever. And it was easy to identify a shoplifter. I got to the point to where I could see somebody walking into the store and I knew if they're going to shoplift or not. Just by the type of clothes they had on, by the type of bag they were carrying, the way they looked around you building. Were profiling. No, I didn't profile. <laughs> I knew everyone equally when they walked in as a bad shopper, a good shopper. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you almost die a couple times? Uh, almost. I, I can't say I almost died, but it was it was a pretty scary encounter. I had to have somebody pull a knife on me while I was going out to stop them when they left the building. And this bigger man, he was probably about mm, 215 pounds. He was quite a bit bigger than me. Just pulled out a knife and started swiping it at me. So I was probably within about three feet of him. But yeah, he had a bunch of CDs that he was stealing. This is when the store still sold compact discs. And they cared if somebody actually Yeah, and he had them just lined around his waistband. But he was trying to get away while still trying to push me away with his knife. But I was still yelling at him, drop the merchandise, <laughs> fucking merchandise. Right. So he starts running down the parking lot and this is in downtown Phoenix. So he starts running down the parking lot and he has CDs kind of falling out of his pants. So I'm picking up the CDs as we're going and he's just running down. But thank yeah. God you got those CDs back. I know. I look back at that and I'm thinking, how stupid was that? The store's bottom line probably depended on those CDs getting returned well, to inventory. Well, here's what's funny. This store now is closing buildings and stores because of the amount of theft they have going on. Interesting. You know, when I was a younger officer, I had a similar experience as Biggie here. Mm -hmm. I won't lie. I wasn't on duty and I wasn't off duty necessarily. It was just my day off. I was in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and I was in the store and I recognized this kid that we dealt with a lot. He's maybe 16 or 17 and he's buying something. He didn't see me. He didn't recognize me and I'm behind him. Remember the zigzag papers, like the rolling papers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have those little, little white. Yeah. They had the little cardboard display with the zigzags on the counter yeah. and he went to pay for a Coke or something. And as the cashier was ringing him up and putting the money in the register, he reached over and took a zigzag and put it in his back pocket. And I'm like, oh, criminal. What they were, were they like 75 cents? If, if that. <laughs> but I was young and dumb. And so I tell the lady, hey, he just shoplifted your zigzags. And he took off. So I'm like, ah, and I chased him. This is old school. There's no phones. No. And then I finally get in this neighborhood and he was fast. He outran. You didn't even have a quarter for a payphone then. Yeah, he smoked me. He smoked me bad. But then I realized... 
hey, stupid, it's your day off. You're in a neighborhood. You just got outran by a 17 year old. You can't contact. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. I just went back and went home. But yeah, it's interesting with young officers. You see a crime and you're just ingrained that, oh, I have to take action. You have this moral obligation for some reason to to do something. As misguided as that might be. So Biggie's going to see her walk by. He identifies there's definitely a crime in progress and he decides he has to take enforcement action. Okay. So he, he identifies himself. He tells her, police officer, you're shoplifting. Stop. Do we know how long he followed her around in the store before they exited? No, no, no. They're passing each other, going through the door. She, they never followed him. As he's oh. walking in, she is walking out. How did he know she was shoplifting? Because there's shit falling out of her sweatshirt. Oh, okay. It looked pretty obvious. I didn't realize obvious. that. Even in the video, well, there's a ton of video on this one. Even in the video, she looks It's more, fallen out yeah, of her clothes. There's just okay. stuff everywhere. Yeah. So as she's walking out the door, he identifies himself, tells her to stop. She just keeps going. He grabs her elbow. And she pulls away and keeps going. And his family is standing there watching. The family just kind of freezes. And they're going to stay right there at the door. This is important because we're going to come back to this point in a minute. Okay. They're going to stand there, the wife, the one-year-old, and the two-year-old, for the rest of these events that are about to happen. She gets pretty aggressive with him and basically calls him a punk or whatever and just, like, go away. Okay. And she keeps walking towards her car. Well, he starts to follow. The first really disturbing thing that I noticed in the investigation that we've got to cover just with the timeline here, he pulls his gun out of his cargo pocket almost on the onset of this. So when she pulls away from him, he's kind of, oh, how dare you? I'm the popo. Right. But she doesn't know that for sure. He looks like a security guard. And she's going to tell us later on she thought he was a security guard. Because when you see somebody with a patch polo, blue jeans, but no gun belt, no... obvious weapon people think oh he's a security guard right and there's no patrol vehicle around there's nothing that really identifies him more because a lot of these security outfits have the same patch and the same little generic very similar badges on the sides of the sleeves the way to identify him is their duty belt do you see a gun and handcuffs and all the stuff you typically see with law enforcement or you just see a badge did he ever badge her in any way a formal badge? no just the little embroidered one is the only thing that was visible okay but he pulls his gun almost immediately which there's some problems here we have to address if if everything else goes perfect at this point that's still a problem well he also pulls out his phone he's right-handed so his problem is he can't dial without his right hand and he can't hold his gun without his right was his phone in his cargo pocket too in the other one but now he transitions his gun to his left hand to call 911 with his right hand which oh that's and i won't get into all the specifics but as a training issue that you're you're starting to create this issue that you can't manage even yeah. what's in your hands right now. You always now. do whatever you can to leave your gun in your dominant hand. Yeah, this is there's there's just a tons of problems. So she, he calls 911. He's on the phone now with 911 operator. She's just continuing to her car. He follows her to the car and he's giving good description like here's what she looks like, here's the vehicle she just got to. And at this point as she's loading stuff in the vehicle, she's yelling stuff. You can kind of hear her. I don't remember what it was, but you could hear something in the background. He walks around to the back of the car to get the license plate. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I remember in the academy I was told when you're not on duty, you're just a really good witness. Right. You don't need to take enforcement action. No. You just call 911 like you would a, as an average citizen. Right. She sees that he's getting the license plate and she decides not today, copper or security guard. And how far away from the front door was she parked? This is really important. At this point, she is probably a solid, I'm going to say 30 yards. So for people who aren't doing yards, about 90 to 100 feet, okay. possibly. So she's pretty close to the front doors. Yeah, not far. Where the family, Walmart. where his family standing can still see this. Yeah. Well, she comes after him when he goes around back to get the license plate and he kind of backpedals a couple times and then the fight's on. She's just going to beat his ass. And it's kind of sad to see mm-hmm. because Biggie Smalls, like we discussed, he's not a big guy. Right. We're going to get into some of his background. He was not prepared for a fight. Mm-hmm. She's going to right hook him, knock his glasses off, knocks the phone out of his hand. They go down like they're on the ground Is he for still a bit. maintaining his gun? He's got his gun back in his cargo pocket. When he walked around, thank goodness, when he walked around to get the license plate, he had put his gun back in his cargo pocket. Okay. But he gets knocked down, loses his glasses, loses the phone. You can hear this on the 911 call. Mm-hmm. Eventually, he's going to get back up. She's given him some space. But now we're going to have the second person come. And this is Mickey. So we have Mickey and Mallory. Okay. Mickey is the boyfriend. Mickey is more hardcore than Mallory. Okay. And he thinks he has just witnessed a security guard assaulting his girlfriend. 
Oh. So he gets very puffed up, right? As he should. Yeah. And he's talking all kinds of smack to Biggie Smalls now. Yeah. What are you doing? What's wrong with you? I'm going to beat your ass. Well, maybe he may not even be able to tell that this is a security guard until he gets much closer. Well, he followed them out. Remember, he was behind Mallory. Oh, he was behind Mallory. It wasn't a long time. So he's kind of been seeing all this, but he doesn't really get involved. He was probably a lookout of some kind throughout the store until she actually left the building. Wouldn't surprise me at all. So he starts to close this gap to Biggie Smalls. And now Biggie Smalls is going to panic. That's just the only thing to say here is he's going to panic because the girl just beat his ass. What is the guy going to, and he's a pretty good guy. Yeah. So he pulls his gun out at this point, points at center mass and tells Mickey to stop. Well, Mickey's not going to stop. He does have clenched fists. And how far away are they from one another? I would say at this point, he's closed the the gap to maybe 10 to 15 feet. Which is pretty close. It's it's Considering your training as a police officer. Yeah. If you're going to get in a fight, a lot of things can happen very quickly when you're 10 to 15 feet away from each other. Well, actually at 21 feet, a lot of things can happen really quickly. Yeah. And there's some, there's just the 21 foot rule is there's a lot of testing that has shown if you have a knife and I shoot you at 21 feet away before you, even if it's a really good shot in your chest, like I'm hitting every organ other than possibly a headshot, you can close that 21 foot gap and still potentially stab me before I could actually kill you by shooting you. And that's why they call it this 21 foot rule. Right. So you try to keep a gap of at least 21 feet so you never put yourself in that position, right? Right. Well, as Mickey starts closing that gap, Biggie Smalls isn't going to stand his ground. He's going to start walking backwards. Okay. So now they're kind of doing this tango where they're walking in unison. Biggie's walking backwards. Mickey's just in his face and he's yelling random shit. Provocative things. Yeah, he's just, he's pissed off. Okay. They're going to walk all of the 75 feet, 100 feet back to the Walmart Biggie Smalls realizes he's coming up to the Walmart, so he turns, and now he's going down the the front of the Walmart. So he's taking Mickey back to his family at the front of the Walmart while he has his gun in his hand. He takes them right back. So if you think of just horrible decisions to make, I've kind of created this situation because I had to take enforcement action. Mm -hmm. I now have introduced a firearm into this, and now I'm leading the two suspects who I'm so concerned about that I've pulled my firearm back to my family where my wife and my one and two year old are like there's just so many and i've got to be honest run put your gun in your cargo pocket and he could have outran him this <laughs> i'm is sure so of it cringy it is cringy and at this point he's going to pass back by those double doors that he first made contact with mallory at mm-hmm. where his wife is still standing and it's just the same thing Mickey's and they're still maintaining the same distance about with each the other. same di- and i would again say about 10 feet and we did a lot of reconstruction on this case 10 feet is a pretty accurate statement okay a better way to think about this and because this next part is really important i'm going to say they closed the distance of half of a football field so imagine this starting on the 50 yard line and okay. mickey starts walking towards biggie smalls biggie's walking backwards to the goal line okay what happens at the 50 yard line does not change at the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10, or the goal line. Okay. Right? The threat that he sees at the 50 is the same threat now he's dealing with at the goal line. Okay. Nothing's changed. Got it. With one exception. His family's there. And his wife yells, just shoot him, Biggie. Just shoot him. Oh. So what do you think Biggie Smalls does? He's shot. At this point, and there's great Did he at least have his gun in his dominant hand he has his gun in his dominant hand and he's holding center mass he's holding at mickey's chest okay and when the wife says this lowers the gun pulls the trigger oh no and blows off mickey's left testicle he just can't get away from nuts at this point okay so we have a left testicle actually that was a really lucky shot it could have gone into his femoral artery. It could have it could have done a I lot don't know more that damage. If people realize gunshot wounds in the hip area can be extremely complicated and very fatal. It's yes, it so is a wonder he doesn't do more damage than he actually does. Where did the bullet exit? His butt. It went in through his testicle and out his butt. He's literally gonna lose his left testicle. Do men need their left testicle? Depends on what you want to do with it, I suppose. Okay, well, this was lucky. Now, this did stop Mickey and Mallory's advance. They're done. He stopped the threat. With one exception. Okay. They love each other. This is kind of a love story. Mickey and Mallory. At this point, Mallory jumps in front of Mickey. So now she's between Biggie Smalls and Mickey. Mm -hmm. And she yells, just shoot me too. I don't want to live if Mickey's not here. Oh, yeah, it's really dramatic. 
And Biggie's like, it was only his left nut. Yeah, he's, he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, he did call 911. So about the same time, the police are arriving. Okay. They're going to take control of the scene. Mickey's okay. transported to the hospital. We're going to arrest Mallory for shoplifting at this point. Okay. And we start the officer-involved shooting. We do have an officer, even though he's off-duty, he is acting in the capacity of a police officer. On-duty, off-duty is irrelevant. Well, I think it's important that you help people understand when you start officer-involved shooting investigation, you're looking at potential homicide charges, murder charges for this. Yeah, let's say that Mickey got transported to the hospital and he died. And a lot of people, man, I've taught a lot of classes on this to law enforcement, and law enforcement gets pissed about this. If you shoot somebody acting in the official capacity of a law enforcement officer and you kill them, you have committed a homicide. There's no doubt about it. You committed the crime of homicide. When they die. If, obviously, they die. Now, there are exceptions to being charged with that. There's justifications of committing that crime. Right. But it is a homicide investigation. It's always looked at as a homicide initially. And a lot of a lot of law enforcement doesn't like to accept that. But yes, in this particular case, it's either going to be an aggravated assault or it's going to be a homicide investigation. And Mickey's fine. He's just light on one side. But he's he's fine okay. at this point. Good. So it'll be an aggravated assault charge. And there is justification. Is there something that happened that we don't know about that Biggie Smalls can justify, hey, this is why I did this. And we're mm -hmm. going to get into that. But yes, to your point, that is what this investigation is going to go. There's some really interesting things here that I know the general public never considers, and it's okay. worth talking about. Okay. Right, wrong, or indifferent, he has rights. She has rights. They all have rights. Everybody in the situation has rights. If you're going to be charged with a crime, you have rights, and we have mm -hmm. to respect those rights. What a lot of people don't realize, let's say the first sergeant on scene grabs Biggie Smalls, pulls him to the side, and says, what happened? Now he's being compelled to talk because it's his job. Will be viewed as a compelled or an actual forced or coerced statement. Because now he, it's not just a cop asking him, to it's supervisor. a supervisor. And if we flipped the roles and a cop grabbed the average public citizen, pulled him off to the side and what happened? Knowing he's a suspect that committed this crime and doesn't read, read Miranda, what happens to that statement? Nothing, you can't use it. So this is where things get really complex is even responding officers and supervisors have to be really careful of the conversations they're having with that shooter in this case, mm -hmm. because it could look as a compelled yeah, the, statement. The kind of questions they can ask is very limited as it relates to public safety. A hundred percent. We can ask how many rounds did you fire and in what direction? And the purpose of that is, is do we need to go do a neighborhood canvas over here? Because Biggie Smalls also shot up two houses and poor grandma's dead on the couch, right? Right. Is there anybody who fled who is posing a public threat? Who is it? Do we know what direction? That isn't still in the vicinity. Correct. Is there anybody you think is hurt that we need to render aid to? And these are these public safety questions, and there's actually nine of them. And we can ask that. But short of that, you cannot get into an interview without doing Miranda. You have to Mirandize that person. Okay. And in this particular case, Biggie Smalls is going to invoke. He's going to say, I'm not making any statements until I get an attorney. Okay. Which isn't a bad idea. Right. I would recommend that for most scenarios. This is going to cause some issues, though, and we're going to get into this down the road of why it's going to cause issues. And it really gets misportrayed by the media and in some lawsuits that come out. So I really want to clean up what's going to happen here. Not unusual. Not unusual at all. So we have two investigations. going. We have a criminal investigation, and now we've got to have an internal investigation. we got some internal issues that we're going to have to deal with Biggie Smalls at some point. Okay. We have to address these things. Right. It's secondary. We don't care about that right now. Right now, it's the criminal investigation. Did he commit an aggravated assault? Do we charge him for the aggravated? He shot somebody in the testicles. Right. And what are you going to charge him with exactly. Correct. Now, there will be a lawsuit. I've already explained that. A lot of the lawsuits stemmed out of some early media statements from the police department that Biggie Smalls was not cooperating oh. with the investigation. And he's going to maintain, I cooperated with the investigation 100%. And from his perspective, I, I believe he, he truly believes that. Right. However, we have a situation when Mickey is released from the hospital what do we do with him? We have an officer who shot him. Right. When really at that point, all we know is that Mickey was potentially defending his girlfriend who he thought was being maybe assaulted by an unknown stranger potentially. But we have other witnesses who say he was chasing or he was pursuing the officer when the officer shot him. Did he commit a crime in doing so? But he may not have actually known that he was an officer. The only thing I'm getting at is, is it possible 
that Mickey committed a crime. It's possible. Is it possible? There's Mallory, a 1% possibility. And Mallory could have committed a crime. Right. Well, they both get booked. Well, Mallory definitely shoplifted. Yes. And based on the assault, there's a camera. We see that Mallory beats Biggie. <laughs> like, she takes him to task. Okay. So we charge her with the aggravated assault just based on the camera. We're charging Mickey with an aggravated assault on a police officer because of this pursuing that he did based on the camera. Mm-hmm. But Biggie Smalls ain't talking. And when we file those charges, we only have so much time to make it official and provide the actual probable cause. And the most important thing, the most important element to any crime against a person. It's probable cause. With a victim. With a victim, yes. We don't have a victim. Because Biggie isn't talking. He's not talking. So we hit that timeline to where we don't have a victim who's willing to say, I was a victim of these crimes. I want to press charges. We have to release both of them. How long were they in custody? 72 hours. So they're released. And if you're just, even if you're a brand new media person, you're probably like, hang on. Off-duty cop shoots this guy in the nuts. They arrest him, they book him, and now they're releasing him without any charges? This is a cornucopia of story. Yes, uh, this is channel, we're leading News 10, right? This Mm -hmm. is where it's coming in. So the police department just simply said, we don't have a victim who's cooperating. Okay. And that gets turned into an allegation that he's not cooperating with the investigation. And that's a large part of the lawsuit. But at the same point, it's a great point. We don't have a victim. Right. So it just complex nonsense complicates things at the end of the day this is going to come down to is this shooting justified and watching the interview working the case kind of seeing the whole thing i believe it is and i'm going to explain why there is no doubt in my mind biggie smalls thinks he's going to die why and you know i could see where a lot of people initially would be like there's no way this is not a crime yeah and i kind of felt the same way until i watched the interview And Biggie Smalls gets into the story where he says, well, there's this thing, though. When I went to the academy, the first day, Boxing Day. I don't know if you remember your Boxing Day. It was actually the first Friday's Boxing Day. I remember that. You do have a Boxing Day. Actually, you have boxing quite a bit throughout the academy. But the, the first Friday, and there was a reason they started this in the academy. There's a lot of people who become police officers who have never actually physically been in a fight. There's a lot of people who have never been hit. And if you've never been punched, like you don't know what it feels like to be punched, you probably don't want that to happen for the first time in your life on a really high stress event where you have to make split second decisions. Should I shoot somebody or not? Right. So they create this scenario and they put to try to to minimize the injury. You have to sit down. You can never stand up. You're back to back. They pick somebody roughly your same size, but sometimes it's hard. So it's it's lopsided. Mm -hmm. They blow a whistle. You both turn around on your knees and basically you go to town until they stop you. And it's just a full on fight. Yeah. I got actually reprimanded on this day. That does not surprise me at all. So I had Sarah. She was my boxing partner on that Friday. And Sarah, no, she was, Sarah's the quiet type. So you have to be careful with those ones, right? So she's quite a bit bigger than me. She's probably four and a half, five inches taller than me. And she probably has a good 15 to 25 pounds on me. So I knew getting into that, that day. Sarah's going to beat your ass. Yeah, I know. I, I was really getting nervous. Like my heart's pounding and you're going to into the academy. And everybody's watching. Yeah. They everybody's make a watching. circle around I couldn't you. eat all day because I knew it was boxing day. And I still get nervous thinking about it. Actually, my heart is actually kind of racing. Maybe this you can hear my mic. the whole purpose of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So we get there and I remember our RTOs, our recruit training officers saying, just turn around fighting. So in my head, thinking, all right, I'm going to turn around fighting. So we're on our knees back to back and they blow the whistle and I turn around with a swinging back fist and I come straight at her temple and she kind of like toppled. But I was thinking if I turn around and I'm not swinging, I'm going to get my ass Yeah, but you're beat. supposed to turn around first. That's the... No, they said turn around fighting. I turned around fighting. <laughs> Did you get in trouble? <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. They they stopped the whole thing. We had to start over. I couldn't I couldn't turn around fighting like that, right? So in my head, I'm thinking, well, that's totally what I do on the street. I wouldn't give somebody the chance to like face off, right? So I had to turn back around, actually face off. I don't get and paid to have fighting. fair fights in the street. Yeah, but I'm thinking I had already gotten into her OODA loop at that point. So it was kind of good because I didn't get my ass beat that day. But that was kind of the goal. Not today, Academy. <laughs> Not going down today. And it sounds somewhat barbaric, but there really is 
And I, I truly believe what is about to happen with Biggie Smalls and his boxing day and how things have evolved over, a, a, I would say, a decade makes an impact in law enforcement that I don't think a lot of people realize. Right. My first time in the academy was the mid-90s. Like, it was old school. We fought every day. Like, you had to literally fight your way through the academy. And mm -hmm. on our boxing day, if you couldn't hang, like if you couldn't actually defend yourself, you didn't have to win. But if you couldn't defend yourself, they sent you home. Mm -hmm. That was the whole purpose is, hey, if you can't, you're wearing boxing gloves on a wrestling mat inside. If you can't protect yourself, we're not going to put you in a situation on the street where you cause the same situation. Which makes sense, yes. Over time, and I hate to say it, I just don't know how else to, to explain it, we got soft. And it didn't become a measuring tool of could you hang. It became, well, we just want him to experience it. Well, Biggie Smalls experiences it. And he gets knocked out. I'm thinking straight up Friday. You got knocked the fuck out. Yeah, that's he gets kind of what knocked was going through my head. Out. Yes. To the point he got transported to the hospital. They called an ambulance. He gets loaded on the gurney and he's taken to the hospital. He doesn't recall a lot of this. How long had he been fighting before he was knocked out? I think it was the first blow. Like he turns around and done. He was oh. out. And at the academy, they make sure everybody gets punched in the face. Oh, yeah. At least two or three times. Yeah. yeah. It, it's funny because it doesn't make sense in the academy. About two or three years later, I was on a domestic violence call in a trailer park of all places. And that's how you know it's a good domestic violence call. It's in a trailer park. Mm -hmm. And we're talking to this guy at the front door and you have to go up these steps to get inside. Yeah. And he's going to just shut the door. He's telling us to F off and go away. And it's obvious, like, his wife is bleeding. One of his teenage kids is bleeding. He's just been beating everybody's ass. Sure. So he starts to shut the door, and my sergeant's with me, so clearly we have to stop. So I kind of hold the door, but I'm down, and I start to walk up the steps to push in. We're the police. Everybody respects the police. Uh -huh. As soon as I cross that <laughs> threshold, he caught me with, like, a right hook, and I remember getting hit and thinking... He just hit me. Did just happened? <laughs> but I didn't react. Like, I froze for a minute because it was such a novel concept of, this guy just, I'm in uniform. I'm a cop. You can't right. hit me. It's not like you go around picking fights with people just yeah. to punch and, them in the face. And I think he was surprised by my reaction because I was like, and I remember looking at him like, oh my God, why'd you do that? Such a jerk. <laughs> and then he's thinking like, you going to do anything or not? And I'm yeah. thinking like, I can't believe you just, and then the fight was on and it yeah. was just a knockdown drag out from there. Yeah. And you're thinking, am I, am I allowed to hit him back? Yes, I'm allowed to hit him yeah, back. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's yeah. game on at this point, uh -huh. but it's funny. You don't always put those connections together in the academy. Like what if I had never been hit? How would I have reacted different? Well, when Biggie Smalls gets hit, it knocks him out. Mm -hmm. He gets released from the hospital. He comes back to the academy. One of the recruit training officers sits him down and explains to him, hey, we got to talk. You have what we call a glass jaw. And what that means is when somebody hits you, you're going to get knocked out. So we're telling you right now, don't ever get in a fight. If you have to physically get in a fight, you're going to lose. And when you get knocked out in the wrestling room on a mat with a bunch of cops standing around, it's not a big deal. We put you in a hospital and you go. When you get knocked out on the street with a bad guy, he's going to take your gun and he's going to kill you. You need to be aware of this and you need to make sure that you do not get in a fight like this. So when we finally sit Biggie Smalls down in the interview room, he explains this entire thing. So any potential threat that he's getting into in his mind is an immediate shooting. And when... Mallory hits him, it did stun him. It dazed him. So just before he makes this decision, he's thinking, holy crap, this chick almost knocked me out. I have a recruit training officer who you have to kind of look up to in the academy who told me, don't ever get in a fight because you have a glass jaw. They'll knock you out and kill you. They're mm -hmm. going to take you're going to kill you. He's got Mickey chasing him this whole way back. And he gets to a point where he has convinced himself if Mickey gets close enough and swings and punches at him, he's going to knock him out and kill him. And that's and when he makes the decision, I have to stop this. What you learn in the academy maintains such an impression on you because, A, it is a form of brainwashing there, right? Oh, so, But there are also things when I went through the academy that I maintained through my everyday work that whenever I would go to a DV call or whatever it was, there was always in my mind, there's a potential that something could bad, bad could happen. There's a potential that I could get in a fight. So I play these little roles and scenarios right. through my head on my way there of how do you get out of this? Yes. What how do I get out of here? this? What would I do? Who would I kick? How would I do this? And, but in his mind, he never even played those out. There's no role. I can't get hit. I can't get hit. So this isn't good. No. And when we talk about the criminal investigation, we're looking at one thing. Is the shooting justified? And to justify the shooting, 
Was he in fear of his life? At the end of the day, when you're in front of a jury and you're presenting these charges to a jury, that's what it's going to come down to is would a reasonable person in his shoes believe that he was in fear of his life? And he does a really good job articulating. No, I was convinced he was going to knock me out, take my gun and kill me. At the same time, I'm thinking there's no freaking way this kid got through the academy with people telling him that he has a glass jaw and that he can't fight on the street. Yeah, this does seem odd. So we went and interviewed the police academy recruit training officers that had Biggie Smalls. They did tell him this? They immediately knew who I was talking about. And they're like, oh, that kid's got a glass jaw. I'm like, oh, tell me that you guys did not tell him this. Oh, we totally told him that because that's the only way he's going to live. You would think that this would be some type of red flag that the academy would let the agency know It would be grounds for removal. They and didn't let the agency know about this? Nope. It, was compl- it wasn't even documented. There's nowhere in his training files from the academy, other than getting knocked out, that he was actually instructed to this. But when we went and interviewed the training officers, they remember it. And they're like, no, we really worried this kid's going to get killed on the street. Ten years earlier, Biggie Smalls would have got sent home from the academy and told this isn't your profession. There's a lot of other things in the world to go do that you can have a lot of fun with. This isn't for you. In the mid-2000s, there was a huge hiring Boom. backlog, I guess is the best yeah. way. And they were pushing anybody and everybody they could through the academy. The next thing is they took away this requirement for normal fighting skills. You're basically taught at this point because they're pushing all these recruits through. You use your taser, and if your taser doesn't work, you use your firearm. And that is why we have seen an incredible increase in shootings is because we have a lot of officers who are afraid to go hands-on. They don't want to touch people. They don't want, they're afraid if they get hit, they're going to die. Right. So they immediately resort to the highest form of self-defense, which is shooting. Well, and untraining that mindset takes forever. That's where we're going to head next. So there's a review board with the DA's office or the county attorney's office in this particular case. And they have a board that meets just on officer-involved use of forces. This case is presented for the criminal charges, and they agree. There is no way we're ever going to get a jury to convict this kid. So they are not going to charge him. They're saying it's justified criminally. They're not going to charge him criminally. And there's a big sway in the media and the lawsuit here that that clears him of wrongdoing. And there's two different things here. We're talking about can we criminally charge him for an incident and then wrongdoing, civil wrongdoing, completely different story. He made a bad decision. Terrible decision. So once the criminal case ends with him not being charged, now there's the internal investigation takes over. But this is quite a conundrum because he made the bad decision based on what he learned in the academy. And now the PD is potentially responsible because they kept him on. It's a shit sandwich. We just have to figure out what do we do at this point. So with the internal investigation, we put together a panel of experts, firearm experts, use of force experts, defensive tactic experts. We bring everybody in a room. There's about 12 of them and we present the case. They see the video. They see the interview. We show them what the recruit training officers say. We, we give the whole thing. And that's the question. Is this a training issue that we can train him out of this mindset or is this something that anytime he gets in a deadly force situation, he's going to resort back to? Like, how do you fix this? And overwhelmingly, all 12 officers in that room said, he's just not set for this job. He doesn't have the right mindset. He, We need to terminate him. It's no big deal. He just needs to go do something else for a living. Well, and it's not just that he was told he had a glass jaw. He clearly does if he's getting knocked out really quickly. And he believes it. And you're right. It would be really, really hard to untrain that. But what if he does it again? What is that liability? And what if this time he does kill somebody? So overwhelmingly, the police department's going to come out and say, terminate. Now, with our police department at this time, if we recommend termination, there's an actual pre-termination hearing where everybody gets together and there's a, a kind of like a little mock hearing where everything is presented and the chief is given the ultimate decision. Every single police officer involved in this investigation recommends termination. The chief decides to demote him to a 911 operator. What do you th- think his mindset why would he do We're gonna get opposite to that. what most of the majority of his staff is telling him? I believe there is some political influence here, and, and I'm going to articulate that here. In of just a course minute. there is. So we have the internal investigation. I, w- I just want to go through the, the process so everybody's tracking. We have the internal review that outlines everything that's happening. Then we have a recommendation from that review that we need to terminate. That moves to a pre-termination hearing where everything is presented and the chief is given the option, hey, what are you going to do? Here's what the recommendation is. He demotes. When he demotes him, it automatically goes to an appeal process where now there's a full hearing by an independent third-party hearing officer. And it's a three-day hearing. Like, it took quite a bit of time where everything is reviewed again. The hearing officer is going to say, I agree with the decision. I'm going to uphold the demotion. At that point, he files a lawsuit 
in superior court. And essentially in the lawsuit, he's claiming everything about the hearing process was bad. And he wants the courts to redo the hearing process formally in superior court. What was he demoted to? So he's at the front operator. desk? Oh, he was a 9 one He was a dispatcher. Yeah. Okay. I don't even think they ever really put him on the radio, though. It's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, just bad decisions all the way around. So the Superior Court looks at this and they're like, we're not an HR department. We can look at legal procedures and we can ensure the law was followed and we can act accordingly if it's not. But we're not going to rehear your appeal to your demotion. Like, we're a court. We're not HR. We work on the law and not HR issues, yeah, it's it's, not policy. So they look at and I won't say they laughed at it, but the, they quickly throw it out and was like, get out of here. And he makes the argument, yeah, but if you, you can't throw out this case because part of the recording from the three-day hearing, it, the recording didn't capture part of the hearing. So he's... He's, he's trying to make the argument, Your Honor, there's no way you can make a decision if this was a proper hearing because you can't even hear all the audio. He's grasping at anything that he can. And the judge is like, they don't even have a requirement to record this hearing. I'm only here to make sure that your due process was properly followed, not what was said during the hearing. Sure. So they toss it out. At that point, he's going to file a federal lawsuit. Oh <laughs> so he files gosh. a federal lawsuit. And now it's going to fall under what's called... And 1983 claims, and it's a statute 1983, it's a federal statute, and it starts to get into your constitutional rights. And he's going to claim a 14th Amendment due process constitutional right that somehow in this process, his his due process was violated. He's also going to claim a First Amendment freedom of speech claim, because when he filed his complaint, he made crazy outlandish statements about a bunch of police officers and what he thought they said. Mm -hmm. Then he filed it in a court of public record, and he's still employed at the police department. So now he's making false statements in a public record. But the problem is if what he's saying is actually true, mm -hmm. those officers also have legal issues now. So it forces another internal investigation on his claim. And now he's like, well, you can't investigate me for IA. I can say anything I want under freedom of speech. It's, no, you it's can't just say anything you want under freedom of speech. It's absurd. He is going. What are you, the media? Yeah. He's going to lose the first federal case. Okay. He appeals that one. He loses the second one. He's then going to appeal it all the way up to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The statement from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals judge is actually really funny. They actually state, this is your fourth bite at the apple, and you still haven't got it right. Like, you're still not making a valid argument. Get out of here. And they're going to dismiss it as well. But this is going to eat hundreds of thousands of dollars in about four and a half years. It's just absurd. So how many officers were involved in this lawsuit? Twelve. That he was suing? It was everybody that was involved in that initial review board that uh -huh. made the determination and recommended termination. And remember, he didn't get terminated. Right. He, he still just had a job. What yeah. was he asking for out of the lawsuit? A uh, $3 million. Oh, I ain't hot dogs anymore. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to Walmart to eat no. hot dogs. Uh -uh. And I think it's important that we frame this because some people are like, well, $3 million. Cops are overpaid these days. You... <laughs> could work arguably 25 years as a police officer and not make $3 million. So it was ridiculous. No. It was way over. Now we're going to get to something really interesting. And again, I am not going to name names. I'm just going to say he is extremely closely related to a state senator. Okay. When they lose all these cases, the state senator kind of in the middle of the night introduces State Bill 12. And what State Bill 1212 says is it changes Arizona Revised Statute, specifically as it deals with officers, and he changes the verbiage to officers who are not only terminated, but demoted, can now appeal to Superior Court. And it's no longer just looking at the due process. It literally starts it all over again. It turns the court into an HR factor where... Everybody has to go into court and present now to a superior court judge the entire case where the judge now makes the decision if the termination or the demotion was justified. And I think it's really important that people understand something here. Mm. That judge, that court have no liability, zero. They can make whatever decision they want to force this officer to return to duty at this police department. He could go out and make another terrible decision resulting in million dollar lawsuits. And, and putting the, the public at risk for their safety. And there's nothing anybody can do about the court and the judge. The, the, the police department just has to eat whatever that liability is. Again, so cringy. It's, it's super dangerous. And it's, I want to bring this up because what I want to really point out here is I know a lot of times with officer-involved shootings, there's this concept that, you know, cops are just going to protect cops no matter what. Mm -hmm. I think I've arrested seven cops in my career. I've booked Ooh. cops. 
and I'm not proud of it. Like I'm yeah, not, I'm not bragging about the fact that I've done it, but that's kind of bullshit because I've had instances come up where I'm like, well, sorry, buddy, screw you for putting me in this situation. Mm-hmm. That pendulum is changing. Good cops do not want to be associated with ones making very poor decisions. Right. It's just this cancer that has a, a big issue. It when is. we start allowing different laws like this to affect where every cop in the department can say he shouldn't be a cop anymore, and we change, we move the goalposts, so to speak, in that process, and now you're forced to bring them back on duty, well, it's dangerous. Especially when there's political influences creating this necessity for a person like that to stay, right? I, I found one interview where the media approaches this with this particular senator and says, hey, by any chance, there's a connection between you two. Does this have to do with this? And he actually says, yeah, I don't think he'll ever go back into law enforcement. He's moved on, but he acknowledges well, it's, not it's to over mention, his case. It is curious that he's with his family picking up hot dogs for dinner at 1030 after shift, but he has the money to file a lawsuit against 12 officers. Who's paying for that lawsuit? Yeah, part of it was he was in the union. So the union attorney took the first part, but you're right. They're going to hit a point where he's got to cough up money and he doesn't have the money. So you know where that happened. Yeah. But it's really frustrating to see that. And I think what I really want to get out with this episode is these investigations can be very complex, but there's also a lot of underbelly stuff that we have to deal with as far as different legal requirements and the laws that you have to take into consideration impact this that have nothing to do with the police department itself. Right. And if you are listening to this episode, you have your own opinions or your own thoughts on it, we would love for you to comment on our YouTube page or whatever listening platform you're at. Um, your thoughts and your opinions are important to us and we do enjoy hearing from you. Yeah. And we're going to cover a lot more on this subject matter. So it'd always be good to hear, hey, make sure you guys get into this more have you guys considered talking a little bit I'd about I'd like this? to learn more about this process. We're happy to discuss it if you ask about it. And let's wrap up with Mallory and Mickey. I don't okay. know if anybody caught this reference. I'm hoping a few people are like, I know what he's talking about. Natural born killers. The <laughs> yeah. two from natural born killers yeah. were Mallory and Mickey. They both are going to end up pleading guilty to their charges. They work a plea deal. They get probation. Neither one of them gets jail time over it. Mickey is actually going to sue the police department, though, for 70000 Well, actually, he sues, I think, for like 300000 And they settle for 70000 and he takes Oh. And for Mickey, that's a lot of money. So I'm sure when he saw 70,000 cash, he was like, yeah, my nuts were. Well, I was actually thinking he kind of got a raw deal on that because was it just that it was 70,000? So he thought that was a great deal. I don't know that it's a bad deal. I got to be honest with the, if you tell me that the right hormone therapy is there for me, I would sell my left testicle for 70,000. You would? I don't need it. Okay. Well, that was, that's what I was wondering. Yeah. Well, let's go do it. (laughs) Totally. It's our stop on the way home. (laughs) And I think at the end of the day, we have to take away the love story that when uh, confronted with all this Mallory's little jump in front, I don't want to live if he's not here. Yeah. And yeah. It's yeah. Just, just a love she story. she okay now? I'm sure they're not okay. <laughs> they lived a very rough life prior to this, and I'm sure it continues. And now you give them $70,000, it probably continues. And Biggie Smalls is. He's no longer a dispatcher. What happened to him? He quit. He got really frustrated after he got the second IA about filing that complaint with all the unfactual statements in it. He just quit at that point. Pretty much everything he couldn't support that he was getting an IA on, he quit because he didn't want to be held accountable. There was also another issue that came up that he was using, he was researching officers and parts of his lawsuit while on duty using PD resources, PD resources. No one wants to talk about that one, but that was actually, he was about to get fired when he quit and he was going to get fired for that. He just kind of, he, he quickly disintegrated. He quickly into, turned shady. Yeah, there's just a lot of issues that came up there. And I want to say, prior to this incident, he was a good guy. Like, I got along with him. He was, mm-hmm. he was a nice enough guy. Just weird. Hmm. All right. So that's happens. what happens when a shooting goes south. Literally. <laughs> it did go south in more ways than one. Next week. This is my favorite episode. I have been waiting from day one to do this. She was really pretty. She was really pretty. This is one of the more disturbing cases I've ever worked, if not the most disturbing. Uh, nobody dies, so that's this good. Is good. A couple of them wish they did, but you're going to have to tune in to get it. She was very, very pretty. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe. Stay safe.